Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today's guest is sludge journalist Alex Koch. Thank you to Patreons Dana Berry, Andre Dunka, William Healy, Angela Jackson, Zacharias Z. Skorkominski, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, and Greg Schneider. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence. Alex Koch, welcome to Counterintelligence. Thanks a lot for having me. Hey, Alex, it's uh, Friday. How are you feeling today? Well, you know, Fridays are always better than Thursdays. <laughs> what, so, what is uh, <laughs> what is a Friday at Sludge like? I'd really, uh, really just curious about that. Well, you know, it depends on the Friday. I mean, today we're working on two stories that I imagine we might publish this afternoon. Um, so it's a busy one. Um, other times it might be um, doing some data work for a piece next week. That was kind of my plan. But then I got interested in a Pete Buttigieg story about um, healthcare money. Um, going to his campaign, so I wanted to, to knock that out first, and then I might get back to some some kind of data analysis and data cleaning. So a lot of the stuff we do at Sludge revolves around um, data sets because we report on money and politics. Yeah, can you uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about uh, sort of what Sludge's mission is, and then your you know your role there, if you could? Sure. Yeah, we uh, we were about a year and a half old. Uh, we launched. Uh, we actually launched in the summer of 2018. We, we kind of filled our team out in the beginning of 2018 and um, we're exclusively a money and politics uh, news website so any way that money um, touches politics uh, at the state local and national levels uh, we will look into so you know it's not just campaign finance it's um nonprofits it's um you know charitable groups it's uh you know sponsored travel for members of congress it's it's the finances of elected officials it's all kinds of different stuff lots of lobbying of course um so we just love to dig in dig into the numbers uh, as much as we can and i think you know we've kind of carved out some niches of, of coverage we do a lot of coverage on the fossil fuel industry and its influence in politics um we cover uh hate groups and a lot of um sort of hate issues and, and funding behind hate groups um uh, we cover other areas like defense, um, tech, and, and some other industries specifically. Um, uh, and we do, with the 2020 election in full swing, we're doing a lot of coverage of the candidates for president, um, conflicts of interest around that, et cetera. Um, so we're a very small operation. We're remote. So two of us are in New York, one's in Massachusetts. And uh, we, we also work with contractors and freelance writers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a really great enterprise so far. We're, we're actually in fundraising mode now to, to get us uh, into 2020. We need to raise some more money. Um, so there's a lot of info uh, about how to how you can contribute, if you like, after this after this interview. It's at readsludge.com. You, you got to and, we, you know, we do the same thing at Forensic News. I mean, you look money. <laughs> it's like people can use their money for the, the dark forces that like the things that you report on, or they can use it literally for good to support Sludge and, and other organizations that do this type of work. Yeah, and, and yeah, like you guys, you know, Sludge is completely independent, and we're not owned by corporate media overlords. Uh, no <laughs> one is influencing the tone or the editorial style or what we cover. Uh, we, we're completely unconstrained, and I think uh, especially now, it's really important to to uh, to support the independent outlets, the smaller ones like ours, um, that are doing good work, and it's a lot bigger bang for your buck than if you donate to New York Times or something. Um, we're we're seeing kind of uh, almost the beginnings of what looks like maybe kind of a repeat of 2016 when the mm -hmm. major media outlets uh, tend to botch sort of the the headlines and and the you know the the, the sub headlines of these articles and, and in the articles themselves. Sometimes they'll they'll sort of equate uh, both sides. Uh, approach uh, when when really you know there's there's clear sides that are, are right and wrong or accurate and, and not accurate 
um, you know, false or true. So, so I, I think, you know, th- these large, uh, institutions are actually pretty ill-prepared and they've huh. demonstrated they're pretty ill-prepared to really, um, take on, uh, all the corruption that's going on currently. I say this, of course, ironically, as, you know, outlets like the times are doing a very good job of covering the Trump, Trump, Ukraine scandal. Um, they are well-sourced and all, so it's not to disparage the no. reporters who are doing that work, but consistently we do see, um, framing of of issues and articles uh, in places like the Times and the Post, uh, really just I think kind of distorting the reality and in, in sort of favor of some mythical sort of both sides ism. So that's my take on that. <laughs> I agree. No, I mean, look, I the invest. See, you you've worked at a lot more major uh, places than, of course, than I have. But just from as a news consumer, what I see is that I, it seems like the investigative reporters, the people on the ground, I'm are do a a fantastic job, but it, it seems like above them, where those decisions are made about a headline, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like, for lack of a better phrase, management seems to do that kind of thing. Um, but you tell me if that's right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, never hold a journalist, a writer accountable for the headline. That's usually the job of the editor. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't love when people go after reporters who have a good story, but the headline sucks. You know, that's often not their fault. And often the headline goes through a lot of different transformations. Sure. Um, there's the online version. Often New York Times, for example, have such a bad headline, they'll get so much flack on Twitter about it that they'll change it pretty quickly. But they can't change what, what, it, you know, what it was in the print version. Um, and there's not really a lot of transparency as to when the changes happen and how and why, of course. Um, so, you know, uh, it, I, I just think, you know, when, when if, if you're looking at to donate money and you're, you're looking at the small outlets that have um, very sort of defined personalities and interests and areas of focus and, you know, like sludge and, and like forensic news, um, you know, you can you know what you're giving your money to. Right. There's not a lot of. There's there's not any uh, pork pork barrel spending, there's not any uh, luxury <laughs> yeah. private jet stuff. Um, so you know it, it's all just going to, to us, the the content producers. Not yet, anyway. But eventually they'll be. Re- no, I'm just joking. Um, and I, w- I want to say too, on a personal note, uh, Sludge that is a great name. Like, you know we we have we have really contrasting. Uh, reviews of our name. I'm glad that you're in the camp that likes uh, it. Took a little selling for me personally, but I do like it now. I think it, you know, it characterizes what we do, which is mock ranking and stuff. Uh, but some people think it's a really awful name, and I, I don't hold it against them. You know, it's it's a it's a polarizing name. Let's say that. I, you know, I I think it's great, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the other end of the microphone right now. I think it's cool. Although it must Thank be interesting, uh, you know, to, <laughs> telling the in-laws, you know, where oh, I work at Sludge. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I first, when I first did it, I remember, um, I think I was, I was interviewing for, I was, I was part-time initially at Sludge. And so I was, I was interviewing for just another part-time gig and, and I was on a phone with a bad connection and the, the guy on the other end was like, wait, Fludge? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, Sludge. And he's like, wait, really? Fludge? What is that? I'm like, yeah, sludge, like, you know, like the murky stuff at like the bottom of a of a swamp. And he's like, oh, sludge, I got it. Like, so there's some awkward, awkward things. I think at this point enough people know about sludge that they kind of don't have don't have some weird interpretation of what of the word. Um, I'm pretty happily surprised after a year and a half only that like most people I meet who are kind of in media are like or, or plenty of people who aren't. So yeah, yeah, I know sludge. I've read sludge, it's good stuff. So that's really encouraging. Um, it hasn't translated into mega dollars yet, uh, which mm-hmm. you know we kind of we need some to keep following the money. You got to have some money to follow the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know we're, uh, we're 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 we are doing well this month in our membership drive. So let's um, hope it keep, keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. 
So why don't we get into, um, you've been doing some, you've been following the money specifically with Facebook, Twitter, and maybe other groups, but basically, as you told me offline, um, social media uh, giants taking money from hate groups. Can you tell us about your reporting? Yeah, you know, um, it's it's sadly not surprising given the behavior of Facebook and its executives in the past few years. Um, they're the worst culprit by far. Um, a lot of my reporting revolves around um, what the Southern Poverty Law Center classifies as hate groups. Um, so there's about a thousand um, big and small that uh, are identified by the SPLC um, as hate groups currently. And so what I like to do is look at, you know, money streams, whether it's ad revenue to Facebook or Twitter, or it's, um, you know, nonprofit donations via tax records, things like that, and, and find where the, where the money to hate groups is coming from. Um, and I was, you know, uh, again, it wasn't surprising, but it was very disappointing and probably a little, uh, more than I would have expected. Facebook, as far as I can tell, has accepted, um, uh, about $1.6 million from 38 different hate groups uh, in the form of ad revenue. So this isn't just groups who have, who have pages where they can, they can, you know, promote their work and, and their, their hateful ideas and they can recruit and bring people off of Facebook onto their site, which is going to be inevitably more extreme than their, their Facebook persona. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a semblance of, 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 you know, hate, hate speech laws, bylaws with Facebook. Um, but also their, their Facebook is accepting their money directly for paid advertisements. Um, so, so that, that's, that's extremely shameful. And I think, you know, the latest Facebook debacle with, with Zuckerberg, um, <laughs> saying that it's fine for politicians to lie and because, because it's, it's newsworthy, even though, even if it's a lie, you know, given what happened in 2016 right. with, with the, the sort of exploitation of Facebook and, and actual fake news, not, not the news that Trump claims is fake. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he's just, he's just, and everyone is, I mean, civil rights people are mad at him. Congress is mad at him. I mean, everyone's mad at him except for the shareholders of Facebook who are making a ton of money off of hate groups and off of, off of, and a lot more just off of, for example, Donald Trump spends a million dollars a day. I just heard, heard that stat yesterday on Facebook ads, most of which are probably completely false. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what he does and his campaign operation does. So, but I digress. The point being, I looked at looked into Facebook. They have an online ad library, um, which is very helpful. It, it only catalogs ads from the middle of 2018 forward. But even since then, they've taken in a million point uh, six dollars. Um, so the end of September, I came out with, with this report. Um, and, you know, there's a few. Uh, well, first of all, um, the, the majority of the gr- of the money comes from groups that are anti-immigrant, which also often means anti-Muslim um, and anti-LGBTQ groups. Um, there's, there's smaller amounts from white nationalist groups, um, general hate groups, and even, even a black nationalist group or two, mm. um, which are considered hate groups by SPLC. Mm. But, um, you know, a lot of it is this anti-immigrant rhetoric. And a lot of that is fueled by a group called FAIR, which is short for the Federation of American Immigration Reform. Um, so they spent about 910,000 on Facebook ads during that time period. Um, and, and they were actually founded by a white nationalist named John Tanton. So their group, which is, uh, you know, staunchly anti-immigrant and they work with state and local, um, 
you know, lobbyists and politicians to pass anti-immigrant legislation. Um, but they, they were, they come from the white nationalist movement in, in the you know seventies and eighties. Mm. There was uh, a eugenicist on their board for a long time. I don't think he's on there now, but he was John Tanton, the, the founder recently died. So he's been around for a long, he was around for a long time. Um, and they're actively, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads, as well as on Twitter ads. Um, to, to sort of transition to Twitter just briefly, sure. I did another story about a week later on Twitter, and as far as I can tell, only one hate group is advertising on Twitter. That's that's fair, and they spent $934,000 on Twitter ads since also, I believe, uh, the middle of 2018. So they're, they're spending pretty equally among the two platforms, and, um, uh, you know, uh, Twitter, you know, we, I was in touch with Twitter over email with their spokespeople. They ended up just declining to comment uh, on this hate group that they've gotten a million dollars from. <laughs> so you know this is this is pretty shameful stuff. If you can't even acknowledge, I think I'm sludge right now is too much of a small fry publication for them to want to comment. Um, but you know uh, they're going to have to eventually. I mean, people are people took note of that article. People are raising the issue. Um, and lastly, the group also spends on Google ads. Um, hmm. That's about I I tracked about 100. I think as of now, I looked at it yesterday. The they also have these online ad, ad libraries that are very helpful. Uh, about 128,000, I think, um, Twitter has taken from Fair. Um, I'm sorry, Google slash YouTube is taken from Fair. I, I'm in touch with their cost person, and I think I'm having a similar situation where <laughs> uh, they just kind of beat around the bush and don't really want to say anything on the record. So um, I might have to do a piece about that. But you know, the point is, it's not just Fair. It's uh, a lot of other groups, anti-LGBTQ. Uh, massive lobbying and you know, sort of legal shop uh, alliance defending freedom uh, spent almost four hundred thousand on Facebook ads. The also anti LGBTQ Family Research Council, which uh, Trump Trump recently just spoke at their annual event last weekend, um, in typical uh, hate group Trump fashion, uh, spent over a hundred thousand on Facebook ads. And the list goes on. You can see from the article if you get there at Sludge um, that you know it, it's it's. 38 different groups. And, and that's a lot of money. Even as you're saying this, I could kind of feel my blood pressure rising. Like it's, it's bothering me as I'm sure it bothers, uh, anybody with a conscience who, and I guess my, uh, to ask you the obvious question, Alex, um, why are the, the, the amount of money you're describing too, is not even like, like it's given the amount of money they have, why are they taking this money? What is the point of it? That's what I want. That's what I'm curious. Yeah, about. I mean that's a that's a very good question, and it probably has a pretty nuanced answer yeah. and several answers. Uh, but yeah, to your point, th that's absolutely right. I mean, a, a million bucks for Facebook is is literally nothing. It's it's a rounding error. Um, you know, their CEO is worth fifty billion to put it in perspective. So that that is that is not much money, and you would wonder, okay, if this is a problem, a PR problem, why don't they just you know why don't they just have a stronger hate policy and just get rid of these groups. I mean, why would anyone in their good conscience want to be making money from hate groups anyway? Right. Well, you know, I don't think Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg have consciences at all, frankly. I mean, they're they're way too wealthy and powerful to have one. They gave that up a long time ago. But that's kind of beside my point, um, which is that there, there's a bigger political issue at hand, especially with Facebook and especially with Zuckerberg. Um, he has been hammered by conservative politicians in Congress over and over again about some alleged anti-conservative bias. When the actual uh, alleged bias is taking down posts that are hateful. And Facebook has done a terrible job of doing this, but they do sometimes enforce their hate speech policy by taking posts down. Mm -hmm. uh, rarely suspending actual groups. They have different kind of bylaws for the groups versus the, the actual posts, which allows them to 
keep these groups on and continue to profit from them, um, which is a you know another can of worms. But essentially, what Zuckerberg fears, and, and a lot of the current reporting is 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 has been saying this, which is something that I, I I'm aware of too, is that you know if he does take greater action against these kind of far right groups, then that'll just give the Republicans in Congress more ammo to go after him, to potentially break up Facebook, to uh, penalize Facebook in whatever ways they can. Because, you know, these groups that are hate groups, like, for example, FAIR, like the Family Research Council, a lot of the right uh, politicians are allied with these groups. Um, A lot of the Republican Party members are anti-LGBTQ. They are anti-immigrant and they are anti-Muslim, just like the president is. And so, um, you know, this is this is maybe one of the worst examples of both sidesism that I've ever (laughs) witnessed in my reporting career where, 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 where Zuckerberg is saying, look, you know, these hate groups have a right to free speech, um, just like just like you know, the ACLU does, or ju- just like you know right. um, the uh, pro LGBTQ groups have. You know, these are not equivalents. One is hate speech that that leads to uh, extremely harmful things, including murders, um, including um, you know uh, deportations and things like that. Um, and the other side is just trying to have equal rights for everybody. So it, you know, it's 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 just really. I mean, in my opinion, uh, it, it's very despicable what Facebook's doing. And, and frankly, you know, Twitter is uh, is better just by the numbers, but they're still accepting mm-hmm. all this money from FAIR, and that's really bad too. And I'd also just like to highlight, you know, just, just to say it, the in terms of the First Amendment, that's a government issue. None of us, you and me, we don't want the government involved in, in our reporting, our speech. But we, all of us as in private institutions, we have a choice to take money. And I just wanted to kind of put that out there. I feel yes. like that gets, conf- conf- you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this, yeah, like there's nothing, there's no government, uh, component to Facebook. They're, they're a company, they can do whatever they want. And in fact, they don't even enforce their own policies right. very well, which again, aren't even that great, but, uh, even under the framework they have based on, I think, which, which has been a reaction to a lot, a lot of bad press and complaints and, and bad, bad things happening. Like, genocides in Burma against the Muslim population there. Those were fueled by a lot of uh, Facebook propaganda um, that they allowed up for you know a long enough time to cause real damage and real deaths. Um, so even with all of this horrific PR and, and, and terrible you know on the ground results, um, they only have sort of this this sort of feeble framework for uh, attacking individual hate ads and trying to or hate posts rather and right. trying to get them down, uh, I- ignoring sort of the mission statements of the groups that are doing the posts. Right. Um, so they're still allowing these groups, um, advertisers or not, to stay on Facebook to recruit on Facebook. Right. Um, and when you have two billion accounts, uh, you know, on a social media platform, that's a group. That's that's a huge invaluable recruiting tool. But um, to, to your point about the First Amendment, also. Um, even if this were a First Amendment issue, again, which is not because it's a it's a company, but if it were a First Amendment issue, I, I would argue that there there the hate speech a lot of it is not protected by the First Amendment. There is a there's a clause in the First Amendment that says that you know, un, like speech is not protected if it incites violence that's against true. That's, people. Yeah, you know, that's right. and and and. That might be hard to define directly with a lot of this hate speech, but uh, it's pretty clear there's, there is a direct, um, you know, there, there is a direct correlation between uh, what a lot of these hate groups say and do and like a lot of the white nationalist violence against other groups of people. So, you know, I, I think that issue really needs to be explored right now. The government is incapable of, of really exploring that. Yeah, I'd like to highlight what you said. I, as far as I know that and what what um, what Alex is talking about is called a, 
I believe it's called Fighting Words, um, mm-hmm. which I learned from when I was talking to a lawyer after actually some right-wing nut uh, kind of, you know, sort of confronted me in the street one time. And then I was just talking to a lawyer friend and he was like, actually, all speech in that way is not protected. It's called fighting words. And if it can lead to violence, you know, what you just said, which was news to me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't realize that. They think they can say whatever they want. It's a yeah. free speech issue. Or, or, or as you say, they think that, you know, their speech on a, on a private company's platform is, is somehow subject to their misinterpretation of the First Amendment, right? Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a whole lot, of, whole lot of issues here. And, you know, but, but I will say, you know, following the money is one of the best ways to expose this stuff because, you know, you're, it's one thing to, to allow a hate group on your platform. It's another to take their money. And so luckily, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Google do have online records of the ad spending. It's limited, but there is, there is plenty. And, you know, I, I encourage anyone to, to check these out. They're always changing by the day because there's more and more ad campaigns mm-hmm. purchased. Um, and so I hope that my work in this space will, will at least contribute to down the road some, some ref- more reforms. It, it absolutely is. Because like we said, look, legally, I, I'm not a lawyer. I Some of this sounds murky and in terms of what is legal, but it's really, I think what we're talking about really is a, it's a moral question. Like you don't, you made a choice to take that money and why? I I mean, I guess we've explored why a little bit already because for various reasons, but that, that to me is the bigger issue. It's, it's moral. Did you really have to take $300 from the, the proud boy affiliate in Northern California? You know? right. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> unfortunately, I, I don't think in our, in our hyper capitalist system, you know, morals really come into much play in terms of the biggest companies and their shareholder profits. Um, so I think the way to pressure them is of course, investigative reporting is advocacy groups. It's getting the, it's getting everyone else outraged. Yeah. At rightly and rightly so. And if enough people are outraged, maybe they'll change. But for now, the the Republican Party is essentially standing in the way of real mm-hmm. reform, uh, with the exception of some Republicans who do want to actually break up Facebook. And I think that, you know, if, if it's done right, that would be a really positive thing. I'm just curious. So how, just speaking, uh, how does one follow the money with Facebook? I mean, when you, you find out about this story, what what's like the first thing you do, uh, you know, when you're getting started on this okay i mean there, there's a lot of different ways to follow facebook's money um some are political and some are more business related you know um this one is kind of at the, at the in the juncture between the two because you know basically just go go to your search engine and just just google facebook ad library and it'll come up and then there'll be it's actually quite simple you just you just type in the name of a facebook group a page you know and, and it'll it'll auto populate if it's there in the library and you can just click on that and see see their ad spending. They actually include the ads and the ads that have been taken down, um, or sorry, the discontinued ads. Um, they will they will still have those in the archive. So you can also download. Like if I'm going to do a larger piece, like I did, you know, you can download a, a CSV file of, of the the entire ad library and then filter it and analyze it in Excel, um, which is you know, the way to certainly to look at it at a larger scale. Uh, there's other, there's also, you know, a lot more money with Facebook. There's the campaign donations. Um, you know, that's, that's um, pretty easy to do with on the federal election commission website. You can look at Facebook pack and you can also search for individuals who list Facebook as their employer. And you can also see, you know, with the people who actually fully disclose as they're supposed to, you can see what their occupation is titled to. So, you know, if there's like, a, you know, an executive at Facebook giving money to Nancy Pelosi or something, you know, that's going to 
likely will be you know, publicly accessible in the FEC database. You know, I'd like to highlight something you said about why these executives, why this problem exists. It's because it's a human, it's a very human thing to only really care about things when it affects you. I mean, that's not true of everybody. And when the violence that's caused in other countries because of, you know, partly because of Facebook or even things that happen in this country, that it's never going to affect Mark Zuckerberg or, or Sheryl Sandberg or whoever. And isn't that really why this is happening? Uh, I mean, that could be part of it. I think mainly they just see, you know, dollar signs hmm. and they see all the rich people who are depending on yeah. the Facebook stock to do well. Um, and they see growth, growth, growth. That's kind of like, you know, what corporate America thinks it has to do is constantly grow instead of just actually have a good, healthy company um, that treats its workers well. Um, you know, so I think that's the main motivation. But yes, actually, I wrote, a, I wrote an op-ed after David Koch died in August. I wrote for The Guardian. And that's how I opened the piece was um, the, uh, the anecdote that David Koch in the early 90s, you know, he's, of course, was one of the executives of, of Koch Industries, one of the world's largest polluters, a massive oil and gas conglomerate company. Um, he had cancer in the early 90s and he he, 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 he had good health care because he's a billionaire and, and he fought it off and he, he survived and he lasted another almost two decades. Uh, actually, yeah, almost two decades. He had four children after that. I mean, he, he had a whole life after cancer. So he he puts a lot of money into cancer research and at MIT, where he went to he went to college and possibly grad school. Um, you know, other other academic um, kind of cancer research facilities, and so he gets his name, you know, put on all those. And I think he really does believe in cancer treatment and research. I mean, he 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 personally went through it. Now, if he hadn't, would he have been? Would he be so devoted to this cause? Almost definitely not. I mean, the most the majority of the Coke money goes towards right-wing politics and free market academic centers and, and think tanks like the Cato Institute. So um, he's doing this because he personally had the experience. If he hadn't, I, I don't think, you know, a lot of these corporate goons really have the uh, sort of just the conscientiousness to, to think in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly, when uh, Dick Cheney was, was pro uh, gay marriage or because his daughter was, was yeah. Gay. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's kind of like sad because yeah, you know, he 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 basically took a, the approach of I'm not gonna I'm not gonna weigh in on on the whole gay thing, mm. because his own daughter is a le- out lesbian. Mm. Um, whereas you know if he had a little 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 tiny bit more of a conscience, he might have actually said, okay, like I'm I'm gonna be this like warlord vice president, but at least I'm gonna stand <laughs> up for my daughter's rights, yeah. like actually publicly endorse rights for my daughter. And he, yeah. he couldn't quite do that, you know. No, yeah, I and mean, we could do a whole another show on the. You know, it's often called an empathy gap, and it seems to correspond. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have a scientific thing in front of me, but with how you fall politically, there just seems to be a problem with certain people who don't care about anything if it doesn't happen to them, and they seem to vote for one particular party. Um, well, there's a reason why the Libertarian Party is seen is seen as a as a right wing party. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's that's kind of the that's the Cokes. I mean, they're they're pure libertarians in a lot of ways. Um, not all, of course, but they're they're they are devoted libertarians. They don't really care about other people. They just want to pay as little tax as possible and pollute as much as they can, so they can make as much money. And that's really sad. But these are the people who call the shots in American politics, and that's you know that's an even bigger problem. You know, turning uh, politically, uh, we just had a uh, a democratic debate. I wanted to maybe just segue and uh, ask you kind of what you thought about that debate and uh, everything that's going on, uh, you know, right now in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, 
Well, if you want my hot takes from, from the <laughs> debate, uh, w- one takeaway I'll say is the absence of Jake Tapper uh, as a moderator vastly <laughs> improved the debate. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm very serious about this. The way that he conducted the previous CNN debate, I believe it was maybe the second two debates, that, that second round, um, the way he was asking these ridiculous questions of John Delaney and, and Michael Bennett and trying to pit them against the, the more progressive candidates and just making these made for made for Twitter, like 10 second clips. I mean, it was just grotesque. And I, I really, I really object to the way that he, well, many things about Jake Tapper, but especially how he <laughs> conducted that debate. So he wasn't there this time. Um, which was a big deal to me. Um, but no, in terms of the candidates, you know, um, and I will say another, another criticism of, of the moderators actually, but of this event in particular was, you know, and that includes New York times too, right? Cause it was a CNN and New York times collaboration, I believe. Okay. So, um, yeah, but so it's a three hour debate, not a single question on the greatest issue that the human species faces our, our, our climate, uh, the health of our planet. Not one question about that. Uh, even despite that, the fact checkers managed to fact check uh, Bernie Sanders uh, on, on a quote. He, he said he did bring up the climate in, in, a, in a non-climate related answer. Uh, and they were fact checking him on the, the, the idea that it's, a, it's an existential threat. They said that, uh, and I, don't, I, think, I think this was factcheck.org. It wasn't. Yep. It wasn't Glenn Kessler of the no. Walker, who really is kind of the worst at this. Uh, it's like com- comically bad at, at fact checking, <laughs> but um, factcheck.org, which is you know not quite as bad. I mean, they, they literally said, well, you know, we, we have come to there's four or five person fact check team, at, at least, I think, on this article. And they said, you know, we've come to the conclusion that, you know, while climate change, it can will cause human death or something like that. It's not it, it, we don't think it'll obliterate the entire human species. So therefore, Pinocchio. And I'm just like, yep. man, you know, this is like what this is how we're this is why we're all going to die right. because yep. of this crap. But, but you know, those are my two things I want to get off my chest before I'll actually give you my analysis. I think you're running down. OK, uh, first first thing I noticed from the beginning was that Bernie Sanders does not appear to be someone who had a heart attack a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed actually healthier and less red in the face than he usually does. And so I think that's <laughs> that's hopefully gives him a, a, a little leg up. I think he and the reason I say hopefully is because I think he took a, a, a major hit in the polls because of the heart mm-hmm. attack. It was a very minor uh, infarction, I believe, but it, it, it is enough to spook a lot of people. I get that he's old, you know, and he, he had a heart issue. Like he had a stent put in there too, in fact. So, but I think that, you know, if, if people are paying attention, um, that you can't really come out of that debate and say Bernie's in really bad health. Like he was, he was, I think it was a very good performance overall. If maybe a little, um, a little less airtime than he probably should have gotten, but, um, or he would have liked to have gotten, you know, but, but when he did answer, I think he was good. I think Warren, you know, was good as usual. She's always mm-hmm. great on her feet. Uh, I do think the issue of her kind of dodging the question about raising middle class taxes to pay for Medicare for all is really becoming a major problem. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who aren't, you know, on the far left are, are starting to say this is, this is getting annoying too. Um, uh, apparently, you know, the day after there was some reporting I saw that she's looking at other options to raise the revenue for uh, Medicare for all that won't raise taxes on the middle class. You know, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, this is going to be very, very costly. Um, of course, it's less costly than the system we have now. It's just going to be paid for more by the government and less, you know, uh, less waste to go into private uh, individuals and management companies and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't think it's really feasible to not raise taxes on the middle class. What she needs to do is what Bernie's already started to try to do is just explain the math. You know, you say I had a viral tweet that night and the tweet mm-hmm. said, um, 
okay, guys, I'm confused. If I if I pay two thousand dollars more in taxes, and then I get I pay eight thousand dollars less in like annual um, medical costs for my family, uh, is that good or bad? I don't know. I can't figure it out. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 basic yeah. it's basic addition and subtraction, and I don't know why it's so hard to explain to people. I got to be honest with you. I'm still laughing about the your opening salvo there about Jake Tapper. Um, that I just now you know it's one one thing I love. Like I was telling you off air, one thing I really it's like I, I don't know if the phrase wheelhouse is right, but just like just like right wing crazy stuff is absolutely like. Eventually, I want to. I, I love this show, and I do. I love like what Sam Cedar does at the Majority Report, and I kind of I want to take this show and so, sort of in that way eventually with these characters. But anyway. Yeah. Just that, just what you said cracked me up. Um, and I was, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, you tell me what you thought, but I guess my big question with these debates is, and it's only, really only when CNN does it, well, maybe not, but why, it, why is the entire approach to the questions, it's, it's like this needling, almost bullying thing. Like, are you, you know, it's like, hey, Democrat, are you sure, are you sure about X, like, you know, principal X? It's like, I, the approach is so ridiculous. It. It's are they afraid? Are you tell me you've been doing this a lot longer? Are they are you are they afraid of the right wing that much? Uh, what is it? Interesting. Um, I'm not I'm not really sure. I mean, I think it's fine to ask a candidate like, okay, is this policy for real? Like, how, are you really going to fund it this way or not? That's fine. I mean, my my problem is when the the uh, moderators pit, you know, they sort of artificially pit people together. I mean, they mm-hmm. were trying to get Bernie and Warren to yell at each other. I think in the third debate, and they didn't. Yeah. They didn't take the bait. Because they're actually, you know, despite what a lot of people might want to say, they're actually pretty similar policy-wise. They're not the same. You know, Sanders is a revolutionary. Um, you know, Warren wants to work from the inside and reform the system dramatically. But I do think that, you know, like de facto, like let's say Bernie is president or Warren is president. Like their actual presidencies, the policies that are going to work, that mm-hmm. might actually get, you know, pass in some form or another Congress and things that they can do executive branch wise. Like, I think that it like, it's not going to be that different. So, yeah. so I've gotten a lot of flack from, from the left on this, uh, mm-hmm. by, by tweeting about this. And I think I lost about 60 Twitter followers one day really? when I, uh, when I just did a little thread about how, um, you know, Warren is actually way more progressive than the other non Bernie candidates, which is objectively true. And I think that a lot of people are just so, uh, sort of wounded from 2016 and Hillary Clinton yeah. um, in that primary, and then of course her losing the general for a lot of really yeah. reasons that were totally avoidable. I think um, you know they just they just want to map her onto Warren, and I'm like, no, Warren is a law professor. She has a, been a regulator for the last decade plus. Uh, she's been a, a progressive senator for yeah. the last few years, um, and and she is she fought the Obama administration that whole time during the CFPB founding and. Um, she was fighting Tim Geithner and all these Obama econ- economists, Larry Summers, um, and they still don't like each other. There's a whole pol- big Politico feature on that. So, like, she is not, you know, she is not from the Democratic establishment. And I think, like, you know, if she is the nominee, um, you know, pe- we're going to just see that. Like, mm. she, she's not she's not going to toe the company line all the time. But her, I think her political brilliance is that she has managed to put herself in a place where the establishment does respect her and is willing to get behind her if she's a nominee you can tell this you know and and that's unfortunately and i think it's not his fault to for the most part bernie is not in that position you know um and i i do agree that you know the democratic party needs to be fundamentally changed um 
root out the corruption, root out all the fossil fuel money and the private prison cash and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the pharmaceutical executive donations and all these things. Uh, but I do think Warren generally wants to do the same, do that. And I think, um, I think she's just shown that she's a more viable, like, at least primary candidate. But, you know, then again, we got to talk about the general. So She's a great candidate. And I, I actually thought about um, kind of like a specific example of when I, <laughs> in the beginning, what I was, you know, going back to the framing, they open, I think Anderson Cooper opened with, it was just this, it, it just, it's always the same thing. It's like, are you sure? It's, to me, it's almost a, it's a, almost an insidious type of gaslighting. It's like, uh, you know, why do you think you can impeach Donald Trump? It's like, we can have that discussion about losing the trial, but it's to act like the country isn't literally being destroyed. It's just, it's weird to me. It's like a, an episode of Black Mirror, like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I have less of a problem with those kinds of questions, but Mm -hmm. I do completely agree that a lot of mainstream media and and, and a lot of people in politics, too, um, are sort of operating as if this was a normal time in American history, that, you know, the institutions are still functioning, (laughs) that we don't have a white nationalist uh, in the White House Mm -hmm. who has another white nationalist uh, who is running his immigration policy and had another white nationalist as his chief advisor who got kicked out eventually steve bannon i mean this is you know we're seeing this all the way down through uh you know sort of the middle management of of some of these uh government agencies i mean they are they are treating immigrants like they're animals um and you know they're putting kids in cages i mean this this is stuff that you know again did happen under obama Mm -hmm. to some degree and to a really horrifying degree but but trump has just made it you know really the centerpiece of his entire administration um, and this isn't getting into the foreign policy crap that's right. going on now with with Turkey and Syria. I mean that that's just outrageous. Uh, and I think that like people, even who were sort of holding out, are, are now being like, "All right, this is this is just too far. Like you know, something has to be done." Um, you know, and and I think that Pelosi for a long time was operating under the same sort of baffling position that you know, ooh, like Trump is bad, but like <laughs> we still we still like have to maintain our decorum and our blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, of course. When you actually fully back an impeachment inquiry, the public is going to shift its opinion. Like right. it took what a couple of weeks for it to go from like, you know, impeachment to be like forty percent to like fifty three percent, and that means. And I, I believe one of the one, one or two of the polls said over half of Americans actually want to remove from office, not just impeached and put put on trial, but remove from office. Over half of the country thinks that. So if, if that's how it is, just weeks after they actually finally endorse this this impeachment inquiry, then think what it's going to be once it's you know in full swing. Yeah. I, um, now that they started it, I, I decided to publicly sort of, I don't know, alter my tone a little bit, but I, I, about regarding the democratic strategy, but I, cause they finally did what had to be done, but I, I've been very, um, yeah, you know, I, I think when they write the history of this, it'll be less confusing what happened with the Republicans. Cause that, I don't know, I, that doesn't, nothing they do surprise me, but I think they will, the historians will wonder why a particular party took back you know, an entire branch of government in a landmark win right. and then waited a year to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that, I hope that historians dig into that and, 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 you know, cast some doubt on, on the sort of establishment strategy here. I mean, there is a chance that it could end up where, okay, they actually do end up impeaching Trump by the end of the year. It's mainly over the Ukraine stuff, which is something that happened entirely during his time as president and um, is extremely egregious and more provable than some of the Russia stuff. Um, but but I, I think that, you know, look, I mean, the very sort of, I would say, timid Robert Mueller 
special counsel uh, who, who would not uh, actually recommend any charges against the sitting president because of some, uh, I think, you know, not established, terribly established mm. uh, Justice Department preference. Yeah. Um, you know, but he laid out 10 obstruction of justice uh, avenues for Congress and Pelosi did nothing. All she wants to do is is, is protect the, the conservative uh, swing district House members, including people like Henry Cuellar, who are who's basically sounds like Donald Trump in immigration. He's being challenged by a progressive uh, in Texas who has raised a lot of money um, because he's not very popular. Um, you know, but but she's favoring these 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 swing district moderates over, you know, the progressives in her caucus who are many, first of all, and who are very kind of you know, have large public personas who are doing great things for the left, like uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, who are in the news all the time, who could be a party standard bearer if she wanted the party to go that direction, but she certainly doesn't. And so, so her preference is to, to side with the conservatives in her ranks, not, not the progressives. It really comes back to what we talked about with Facebook and what's happened in this country. It's a moral choice. Like I, I, I can't, I don't know what it's like to be in um, speaker Pelosi's shoes or any, or someone in that type of position to know that your decision, the literally the fate of the world could hang on it. But I do know what it's like to make a moral decision, and sometimes that means that you lose. That's what life is, and that, that I guess that's what's been so disappointing, that mm-hmm. every decision being made from the perspective of, I don't want to lose, well, why did you take the job? I mean... Precisely. <laughs> that. I mean, you know, Congress people like uh, Representative, um, you know, uh, Rashida Tlaib mm-hmm. uh, have been saying this since the beginning of the year. You know, look... This is our constitutional duty to hold the other branch of government accountable when it's clearly breaking laws and doing awful things to the to the country. Um, you know, and that's what Warren said after she read the Mueller report. You know, the when when the redacted version was finally released after William Barr you know, basically played the media for three weeks, um, <laughs> she read it uh, and and then she immediately said, "Okay, I mean, I have to do this." And and right. that could have been a political calculation, sure, but it was it was the right one. Uh, and 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 I think she probably did believe morally she had to do it as well. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a very terribly popular position back in April among Democrats. You know, it wasn't. It took time. Um, and, and so, you know, people have been on the records, you know, doing the right thing or wanting to do the yeah. right thing. And, and just the leadership kind of just didn't really care. And the, so I'm still skeptical. Like, I don't know if they're really going to impeach Trump. I think they they all know they've got they've got enough. There's more than enough on this Ukraine <laughs> stuff to impeach. I mean, it's just so egregious. And this week has kind of been I actually I listened to the Daily podcast today and that was very mm-hmm. useful. Just putting into perspective what some of these kind of career um, diplomats uh, you know, with the EU and with Ukraine have been saying to Congress behind closed doors during this sort of like what is essentially a deposition process, pre-impeachment deposition. Um, so I do think things are changing pretty quickly, yeah. uh, especially with Mick Mulvaney just saying yesterday to the press, just saying, yes, we held up military aid to Ukraine because, um, c- you know, contingent on them starting uh, an investigation into this conspiracy theory of, of Ukraine actually having, uh, you know, hacked the Democrats, not Russia or something like that, um, which which is just, I mean, it's, it's there's no right. there's no evidence for that. Um, but, you know, they're going with it because it's the Trump administration. Um, so anyway, my point is, yes, they have enough to impeach. They probably will, but I'll believe it when I see it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think I can understand where you're coming from, given the last the events of the last two, three years. Uh, maybe right. it, it's really brought out the skeptic in all of us, which was already there, I'm sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Especially as a journalist, too. I think, you know, you've got to be as skeptical as humanly possible, essentially. Alex, does Sludge have anything coming up, something you're working on, a teaser? Anything you want to tell us about? Hmm. Well, we got a couple pharma stories coming out probably hmm. later today. Um, really? So uh, I'll just, yeah, I mean, by the time this is out, they'll probably hmm. be published. So, yeah, one's about um, Pete Buttigieg. Um, he's been lately kind of turned into a, a Medicare for All attack dog. Um, you know, and his recent digital ad actually names Bernie and Warren specifically and criticizes them for their support of Medicare for all. So he's starting to kind of sound like you're John Delaney and Michael Bennett and Joe Biden, who have kind of been clearly opposed to Medicare for all for you know so far in the, in the campaign from the beginning. Um, and, 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 you know, I just looked at his finances for the third quarter because the third quarter reports just came out uh, on Wednesday, I believe on the 15th. And, um, uh, lo and behold, you know, he keeps he keeps getting money from pharmaceutical executives and from uh, leaders and, and consultants and lawyers who work for pharma and health insurance companies. So mm. um, he kind of has a big tent policy towards uh, campaign finances. I think he just takes takes it all. Um, he did sign um, the pledges that kind of are in vogue now to not take any corporate PAC money and to not take any fossil fuel PAC or executive money, which I think, you know, was largely stuck by. I mean, they do return stuff if it gets through. Um, but that doesn't prevent him from taking money from, you know, executives of big pharma or, um, you know, executives of health insurance uh, companies who oppose Medicare for all. So it doesn't look very good that, that he's out there really shifting his yeah. tone, really attacking Medicare for all while continuing to profit from uh, his campaign to, to profit from the very forces who are, you know, uh, whose business relies on Medicare for all not happening. And look, I think this is going back to what Sludge does and what we do at Forensic News. I just speaking personally, I you know I like Mayor, I like Pete Buttigieg, and this is what journalism is about. It's not just you know covering the people yet somebody you don't like. It's about being honest in your reporting. It's uh, true. I mean, we we don't you know we go after everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think again, there is not a both sides here. There is one party that is literally destroying the country. The other is just being their corporate selves. And uh, but there's a lot to chew on. And when you have a Democratic primary, you got to look at every candidate. And if you're looking at money in politics, you know the candidates who are going to be more interesting are the ones who are a little more to the center, who are more corporate friendly, who are are taking these kinds of donations. I mean, Bernie Sanders. You know, he started, a, I think he, he created a pledge in July, uh, that's right, uh, to not, so it was basically the, the no fossil fuel money pledge, but for the pharma and health insurance industries. Um, and he encouraged people like Joe Biden to sign it, who clearly didn't. Um, <laughs> I wrote a piece about his donors. Um, he's also kind of an all of the above approach, but but Biden actually is worse than, a lot worse than Pete at getting small donations. That's donations of 200 bucks or less. Um, and so Biden is going around the country, flying um, to areas that aren't even in like battleground areas for big fancy fundraisers with you know mm-hmm. corporate you know PR people and and executives and and kind of government affairs officials um, who are maxing out at the twenty eight hundred dollar limit. And so they can't give again, you know. He, and 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 you saw like the second quarter to the third quarter, Biden's campaign he, he raised a lot less. He raised like ten million mm-hmm. less, I think. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, Bernie and Warren, the leaders in, in the funding battle now are the ones who are getting all the small donations online anyway. And that frees them up to when they're not going to these, you know, big dollar fundraiser dinners, they can go out and give rallies. They can speak to the voters. They can, you know, they can rest. I mean, they can they can do they actually have more time to, to really to really make their case to the broader public and not just to the wealthy uh, people who have enough money to get into the uh, fundraising events. Absolutely. 
Well, everybody, I just want to say support sludge. Uh, Alex, how do they, where do they go to support sludge again? Uh, yeah, just readsludge.com. Um, you go there. We've got a big banner right now, a link to our fundraiser. Become a member would be best, a sustaining member at five bucks a month or more. You'll get access to my weekly newsletter called The Sludge Report, hmm. uh, which is uh, it's it's now become a, a top five list of the most corrupt people and entities in politics of the week. Uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I've actually improved my graphic design skills a lot by doing <laughs> it. Um, so if you want to see some beautiful artwork and um, some snarky comments, <laughs> five bucks a month is all you need. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, we're at it here at Forensic News. It's also a uh, independent operation, so there's no you, – you don't have one job. You have the, you, whatever the job that's required uh, at the time. Right. Uh, and, you know, solidarity with you guys. I hope <laughs> to convert some of your listeners to sludge subscribers as well. Yep. And, um, you know, just – we're always open to collaborations if something oh, cool man. comes up. You know, you guys are investigators as well, and um, I, I, I really like some of the work you're doing. You know, Scott Stedman and others are doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, keep it up. Alex, great having you on Counterintelligence, and uh, I look forward to the next one. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic Newsnet. Counterintelligence is at IntelPod. My personal account is Eric LeVay. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay. And this is counterintelligence.